Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. You're listening to the Risk Commentary Podcast. Are you responsible for managing risk but feel frustrated with a confused process? Your host, Edward Robertson, has helped clients not only face uncertainty but also solve chronic business problems by using clear methods with a minimal footprint. Do it right and your people will smile, love the risk process and invite you back. Stay tuned to find out how. This is the Risk Commentary Podcast, Episode 6, Strategic Planning Best Practices. Well, this is a continuation of the discussion on strategic planning, which I started in the last episode, and I thought it was really worthwhile to spend the time um, on a second episode on the same topic, because it's so important to establish a good planning practice as the basis, as the precursor for good risk management. I think many of you have probably had the experience of trying to conduct risk assessment on the basis of so-called plans that are not well-formulated, not well-substantiated, and so on, and you just end up going around in circles. So to avoid that, I suggested the steps in a strategic planning process in the last episode. I'll just give you a quick review now. First of all, starting with what I call strategic identity. In other words, an inward view of the character of the organization. We talked also about the importance of environmental scan, so an outward view. And I talked about the correct formulation of goals. Okay, so, so far we've established that in order to do risk management, logically, following on the definitions, the very definitions in the the standards, you've got to have goals and objectives that are properly formulated, well substantiated. In other words, you have to have a good planning practice. So I think we've established that point well enough. We've got internal organizational planning. Now, that's not strategic planning. It's simply setting up your operations and determining what your business model is all about. I characterize as the internal organizational plan. Then I distinguish that from strategic planning, per se, and then I distinguish that yet again from operational plans. So that's already sort of a tripartite structure of planning that might be helpful to you so beyond that, there's all kinds of management techniques that might be re- related to, let's say, uh, IT, so agile product development. They might be related to manufacturing, like lean and enterprise resource planning, ERP. What I've done is I've set out all of these various uh, elements of planning and management practice to try to relate them logically to one another and to give things in a logical order. Now, at the very least, that schema that I've created could be a reference for you. It's not a bad idea to take a step back and to try to rationalize the whole management and planning process and to make sense of why we're doing what we're doing in the organization on a daily basis then there's potential for you to create change in the organization, which could be very meaningful for the people involved and be career-altering for yourself. Well, let's circle back around now to this question of strategic planning itself. I think it's possible that you might be running into some resistance on this. One common attitude is that strategic planning is kind of dead. It's not worthwhile because plans tend to sit on a shelf. And this was really brought home several years ago in an article by Mintzberg called The Rise and Fall of Strategic Planning. Now, at the same time, we see that strategic planning is uh, one of the most popular management tools. 
So let me quote you a quick summary of some of the literature on business failure that I've got in my book here. I said, in the review article mentioned, lack of specific business plans ranked among the top five of 14 reasons for business failure, virtually equivalent in importance to adequate capitalization and management experience. Okay, but now juxtapose that with this interesting stat. Not one of the 200 failed entrepreneurs interviewed in two studies that I quote identified the issue of planning. Isn't that curious? So planning is very important, and yet it's not even recognized as an issue. It's almost like uh, enterprise risk management itself, which is somehow appreciated, but it's mysterious. It's not understood, and it's not well done. Looking at his article more closely, we see that he was complaining about specific things. Number one, planning does a bad job of predicting well, of course, he's right there. I mean, the kind of planning that pretends to forecast exactly what's going to happen is not a very good planning practice. Second, he says the plans themselves are quantitative and statistical in nature and set out simply targets for increase, like 2% uh, over last year kind of thing. And third, Mintzberg was complaining about the fact that these plans were really crafted at the higher levels and then imposed upon the rest of the management community. So it's this kind of planning in the conventional sense that I think a lot of people have experienced and has given them a bad taste. Well, in a lot of the subsequent literature, planning is actually demonstrated to be beneficial and useful as long as it's conceived in the right way. So just like in enterprise risk management, where we saw a whole fragmentation of definitions and interpretation of how it should be done, same thing in strategic planning. So here's a few quotes from a pretty interesting article that's called Strategic Planning Implementation and Creation of Value in the Firm. And so notably in their list of benefits of strategic planning that they've gleaned from the literature, they say identifying and exploiting future marketing opportunities and encouraging personnel in a favorable attitude to change. And moreover, partly in response to this whole criticism of the traditional view of planning, there is, in more recent years, less bureaucracy with more emphasis on implementation and innovation, participation from line managers and teams of employees, more sophisticated planning techniques such as scenario planning, and increased attention to changing markets and to competitive and technological trends. So that gives us an uh, indication of a much better method and subject matter focus for strategic planning. So even just using some of these indications from the literature, we can start to put together a picture of recommended planning practices. So I've got a list of three items here. First, the strategic planning process has to be an iterative process. It's participatory, involving dialogue and exchange between the planners and the rest of the employee group, who hopefully are consulted. Second, the whole process is well informed by environmental scans. So people are detecting the trends, the conditions, the emerging issues, and they make an effort to stay relevant in order to arrive at creative and innovative solutions rather than simply stating a, a static target uh, based on last year's results. And third point, um, this all helps promote an integrated culture. People start to gain a sense of belonging to the firm, and this is all based on common values that are arrived at in participatory exercises so that people can create official company documents like, let's say, a mission statement, and they feel a personal investment in the firm. I wanted to make a comment in passing on the use of uh, academic literature. Often you can find studies that are quite interesting. Uh, they may not always directly relate to your industry vertical, to your type of organization. 
and uh, they might even be a bit dated. But after a while, after you, you know, you've uh, sort of surveyed some uh, review articles and enough research has been done, you start to get a sense that people are discovering pretty much the, the core information on, let's say, what makes strategic planning successful. And you can bring to the table lists of uh, criteria that the authors might have identified that are relevant to your next risk assessment. So by way of conclusion, I wanted to emphasize that strategic planning uh, in its best practice aspect is really uh, made up of three parts. The first one is the, the research, the discussion, the writing that you have to do, the exchange that goes on. But secondly, it's the psychological aspect, the understanding and the unity of purpose and motivation that is developed in the minds of the people who participate in this. And the third thing is the translation of all of that into meaningful action. Let me read you a paragraph here under the heading, The Why, The Case for Strategic Planning. Leaders who aspire to a world-class level of organizational development will want to build capacity. They want a management culture that is competent beyond one person's capricious influence. They also want an organization that is coherent, that has a sense of identity, defined aims, and consistent execution. Practitioners discover that strategic planning, in the form that I describe it, is much more than the sum of its parts. It has a psychological effect, creating a shared vision and healthy interactions. This is the foundation of successful growth. That's from my book, Strategic Planning, on page 21. So before we summarize the points in today's episode, let's address one final point, and that is the concern that some people might have that I'm asking for a little bit too much. I could be perhaps imposing an expectation that is too burdensome for um, risk managers to take on. First of all, I'm trying to present a lot of information, and this I covered earlier, with respect to planning and management practice, so that you can pick and choose. You can use my general survey as a point of reference so that you can compare what you're doing and where you might pick up pointers, where you might do some incremental improvement, and where you're already having success, and so on. So it isn't necessarily the quantity of work that I'm asking for. It's simply to check the quality of the work. The second point is that if people can improve their planning process along the lines I'm suggesting, then they're going to have much more confidence in the quality of those plans, and the risk assessment itself will tend to go much better, much smoother, because they've already mitigated a lot of the risk in putting the quality work in up front. So with that said, let's summarize what we covered today. First of all, we reiterated that to begin high-quality risk assessment, which is the core practice in ERM, we have to review the planning practice. Second, we reviewed the steps in a suggested planning process, which is uh, discussed in more detail back in the previous episode, five. The third point, we situated strategic planning and many other techniques in sort of a grand schema that you can use as a reference. Now, in one of my books, I call that the generic planning and management schema, and in the other book, The Tools and Templates, I call it the Complete Organizational Planning Process. The fourth point was the suggestion to try to rationalize planning, meetings, and all your management techniques so that you can make the whole thing as efficient as possible. And there's potential there for meaningful change, especially in view of the fact that a lot of time is wasted in meetings. Point number five, we discussed the reasons for the negative attitude towards planning and how this really refers to the old conventional strategic planning, which was top-down, it was non-participatory, 
and it was detached from the real world of creative, uh, innovative change. Point number six, we went on to discuss examples in the literature showing that strategic planning really has progressed. There are discernible best practices. Well, that brings us to the end of episode six. Thank you for listening. Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. Visit today for episode transcripts as well as books and online courses. That's riskcommentary.ca.